0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And we, as a church, we want to systematically go through Scripture. Um, We take books of the Bible, and what we do is we don't just um, preach topical messages. Every once in a while, we'll do a message on a topic, you know, marriage or relationships or finances or whatever. But most of our diet here at Southlands is to go through Scripture and um, we, we've been going through the book of Luke, looking at the character of Jesus, and then asking ourselves the question, who are we in the light of who God is? And so we find ourselves this morning in chapter 15 in a very well-worn text. Uh, Mike actually preached this text about two or three months ago and did such a phenomenal job, and I, I almost felt like, ooh, do I even dare touch this scripture this morning? Um, and so Mike... I'm not even going to do justice to this this morning, okay? Um, but hopefully you've totally forgotten what Mike talked about, and now you'll just hear what I said, say. So if you everybody's turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at this parable that Jesus is telling us and a group of people that are following him. remember what Jesus is doing right now in the context of this portion of Scripture is he is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to sacrifice to lay his life down he's on his way to die and the disciples that are with him all think like we're gonna go take back this kingdom we're gonna like storm the gates we're gonna tell the romans where the, what they can do with their spears and their shields and their big fuzzy hats and all that kind of stuff we're gonna tell them what's up and jesus is gonna take this kingdom back And Jesus is actually marching, walking, teaching, preaching the gospel. And on his way to Jerusalem, he is going there to lay his life down. Which is why we find ourselves here this morning, gathered together. We are the Easter people. Uh, We had Easter three or four weeks ago, but that, that, that beauty of Easter still is alive in us. If you are a Christian, you are an Easter person. The resurrection should be shining in you and through you and out of you onto others and gives you a hope that's eternal and it's the reason why we gather here on sundays to celebrate the fact that we are the easter people all right so let's look at this portion of scripture uh we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 15 and i want to just say something that we're going to come back to here at the end Ooh, i should start my timer my wife's like yes you should um I want to maybe throw out something that might be a little subjective, but I think that this is probably one of the best parables in the in the Gospels that we would see of what the gospel of Jesus is. It, it's your, and it may not be what you think, but as we unpackage that this morning. What, what our jobs as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, to understand the gospel, and let's put on gospel uh, um, lenses, uh, What do, you, what do you, glasses, thank you. Listen, you can only remember so many words, okay? When you get one new word, another one goes out. So let's put on gospel glasses to help us this morning look at this text through the lenses of the gospel, which is... You know, we understand the gospel. God is in the beginning. He created us. He created man. But we messed up. And then Jesus came. Jesus rescued us from our sin. But it doesn't just end there. We have a hope into the future. And so let's look at the scripture today with gospel lenses. So starting in verse 11. This is what the word of the Lord says. And he said, speaking of Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. Everyone say two sons. Two sons. 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 And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Let's stop there for a second. All right, so let's just talk about the context here of what's going on. Two sons in a Middle Eastern patriarchal society. And you would have normally the older son would be given a double inheritance When the dad would die, or let's put it in my family, let's say I have one million dollars and I have ten Ferraris and I have five houses and we could just go on and on. And so one day when I die, I'm going to leave these things to my kids. And the oldest son, who would be Sam here, and, and my little boy Judah, it would be like my two boys and then Judah coming up to me and saying, Dad, I want the stuff. That you're going to give me when you're dead. But I don't want it when you're dead. I want it now. See, this would have been very insulting. This would have been as if the kid was saying, Dad, I actually can't wait for you to die. I actually, I don't want you. I don't want your fathering of me. I don't want your love as a dad. I don't want your paternal you know, leading and guiding. I'm I'm kind of beyond that now. I've become a man. Give me what I'm going to get when you're good and gone and dead. And then what we see here is that the dad doesn't get all flustered. He doesn't get all upset. He doesn't, like, shake his fist. You darn young in generation. You don't have any respect. You dishonorable little, you know, twerk You you. He just says, okay. And he gives them the inheritance. This is a big deal. And if you were in the context of hearing Jesus speak this to you, you would have probably gone, (gasps) there would have been a big gasp, because this would have been so disgraceful that no one would ever think of doing something like this. And yet Jesus tells the story about this situation. The father doesn't disown his son, just grants him his request. And, And by the way, this would have been At great, and I say great, that's probably too small a word, great emotional cost to the dad. Great emotional cost. I mean, imagine if your son came and told you, hey, I wish you were dead. That would have been pretty hard. But not only just emotional, but physical and financial cost. Now he's got to divvy up everything. Now he's got to. He wasn't prepared for this. Now he's got to make preparations for his son to have this. So this would have cost the father a lot in this situation. Let's keep reading, all right? So now let's look at verse 13 through 19. This is what it says here. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I, I perish, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, now he's, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to say? You ever have like, you know, you, you may have an estranged relationship or there's a funkiness or a crunchiness between you and a friend or your boss, maybe you're trying to get favor with your boss because you know you're going to take a vacation that's going to like maybe fall into this big project and you're trying to rehearse you're in the shower you're washing your armpits okay I'm going to say this first and then I'll say this and I'll try to get on his good side right that's exactly what's going on here and he says I'll rise and go to my father and I'll say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants. Man, it's pretty, pretty sad, right? He's got these delusions of grandeur. He's like, man, if my dad gives me my inheritance now. I'm in the prime of my life. I can like, just do whatever I want to do, and I am strong, and I'm able, and I'm competent. By oh, I don't know. I deserve it. I'm a man. Yeah, I was just hearing uh, yesterday... Uh, a, a friend of ours had a birthday party for their son, and their son was getting ready to get sung happy birthday. How old is Four? He's four now, okay? He's four, and as before people, were, he knew the moment was coming, and he he sat himself down at the table, folded his hands like this, And just smiled and got ready for everybody to sing him happy birthday. Because this was his moment. All right, sing it. And as they were singing it, he was just like, that's right, that's right. It's all about me. And you can imagine this son is saying, give me my inheritance. Oh, it's coming to me. It's all about me. But then he finds himself not actually competent and able. Because his character couldn't keep up with the wealth that his dad had given him. And so he's in a hot mess. And he finds himself, I don't know if you've ever been Pirates of the Caribbean, I always think of this every time as the guy who's drunk sitting there with the pigs. I don't know if that's, that's probably not what happened, but, and he's thinking to himself, oh my gosh, if I could just even eat what the pigs are eating, I know what I need to do. I need to go back to my dad. I need to get into my dad's good graces. Don't we do that sometimes with God? Don't we do that sometimes? Like, we, we mess up, God, we know we've been forgiven, we know we're God's son or daughter, we know we're his child, but sometimes there's moments in life where we feel like, man, we just messed up too much. I know what I need to do. I need to, like, think about how I'm going to get back with God in good graces with him, and so, all right, this is how I'm going to pray, this is how I'm going to line up, and I already know, like, God's going to say something like, you need to do this, this, and this in order for me to accept you back. So what we do is we think in our minds, we prepare this way of life, like I'm gonna set this up so that God cannot refuse me coming back to him. I'm gonna make an offer that is so good that I won't even, I won't even say, hey, I need to be, like, be totally restored, just let me back in the door and I'll do this, this, and this. I mean, you've seen it in the movies. God, just, just let this happen. I'll give you my whole life. And that's what the son's doing here. He's trying to bargain with his dad. Let's keep reading. Verses 20 through 24. And the son, the younger son, and he arose and he came to his father. I love this word, but, here. It's a beautiful word in the context of the story here. And he rose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt what? Compassion. And he ran and embraced him and he he kissed him. And the son said to him, okay, here you go. He's like, okay, my dad, you know, he didn't greet me with the, like, stern face, he's probably a little confused, but he's like, I'm not sure what's going on, but okay, I rehearsed this moment, I rehearsed, so here I go, here I go, and he says, he saw, and he felt compassion on him, In verse 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, verse 22, another beautiful, but, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Good ribeyes, I mean, good, nice marbling what's going on here. Bring the fattened calf and let us eat and celebrate. Why? Because verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. I love this right here. Don't we love this portion of the scripture? It's so good. It's so good. I I love that the the dad's like, I don't, I mean, for some reason in my mind it goes to like a western now all of a sudden. And he's sitting there on the rocking uh, chair. And he's on the porch. And the mom's like, what are you doing, dad? And he's like, I'm looking for my boy. You know he's never going to come back. No, he, he, I'm looking for him, and, and the Bible says that it, a, a long way off, he sees him in the distance. And the dad doesn't wait for the boy to come up to the porch and kneel and grovel and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He runs to his boy. Again, the context here, when Jesus was telling this, this story, that not only when the son asked for the inheritance would people gone. <gasps> But when Jesus is saying that the dad, the patriarch, the, the very honorable person in the family gets up, they would wear robes in these days, pulls his robe up and starts running towards his son, the people would go, oh, so undignified. How dare he do such a thing? And we see the dad just run and he kisses him. And I love that, that the Bible says here that the, the son starts into his story. Jesus says verbatim what he, the boy would have rehearsed, and he gets about halfway through it, and the dad just says, ah, shut up. It doesn't matter. Hey, 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 you guys, go, go get the party ready. And, and he, they celebrate, and they don't just celebrate. I mean, they ce- I mean, they're getting like earth, wind, and fire is happening here, okay? It is like, and it's it not just a party with party favors. I mean, it's like the, you, when you kill the fattened calf, This is like the moment we've all been waiting for. This would have cost the dad a lot. Beautiful story, isn't it? Very often, what we do with this parable is we like to focus usually on the younger son. Um, Normally, that's kind of You know, whenever you've heard this story, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you've probably heard this story before, and this is the hundredth time, and you're like, oh my gosh, I could preach this story. Actually, Kelly, you left this part out. But the reality is, this story, the, the story Jesus is telling, it is about the grace of God. It is about you and I in the sense of we are reckless sinners and God goes out and he entreats with us and, and he pulls us out of the miry clay, but actually the point and the direction of the story is actually towards someone else. And we us to be able to understand that, what we need to do is go back to verses 1 and 3. So let's do that this morning. At the beginning of these parables, here's what we see. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Who's the him? Jesus. Who, who's tax collectors and sinners? In this society and in this culture, these guys are the worst of the worst of the worst. They are the Benel, Benedict, Benel, Benedict Arnolds. Tax collectors... Jesus is hanging out. You're supposed to be this great rabbi. You're supposed to be this very holy man. You're supposed to be living out what you're saying. You're leading all these people in this. You know, kind of seems like you're a, you're you gathered disciples to yourself, and this is the people you're gonna hang out with. The people who smoke, the people who look at inappropriate things, the people who talk like sailors, the people who don't live the way that we live, the people who do all the things that society frowns upon, you're going to hang out with these people? Well, look at this. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So how does Jesus respond? let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little story. And see, yes, we are supposed to look at this parable and put ourselves in the parable, and and we should identify with the younger son, but what Jesus is trying to push against here this morning and back then is for us to identify that we have these little Pharisees inside our hearts. We have this thing called the older brother syndrome. We have something in our hearts that looks at people's situations and circumstances, and we think that we should be the judge of who gets what and who doesn't get what, and how people should be treated, because why not? We deserve it. We are the ones that keep the rules. We're the ones that have the name Christian before anything else. We're the ones who live our lives a certain way and a certain ethic and a certain morality. We set aside our lives. We read scripture. We know these things. How dare those people act and as if somehow they just got a free pass. No way. This is crazy, totally unfair. And Jesus would say to you this morning, guys I have a little story to tell you see we're we're supposed to ask the question is there a Pharisee in my heart and I would say the answer to that is yes there is there's one in my heart and there's probably one in yours too so if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning what are we to do with that well Let's keep reading the story. You guys doing okay? All right. Verses 25 through 28. This is what it says. Remember, how many sons were there? Two sons. We've talked about the first son. Let's talk about the second son. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew, this is what Natalie helped us this morning, near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what do these things mean? So basically, he's out working hard. He's doing what a good son should do. He's doing all the things that the dad requires of him. And he's coming home. He's probably sweaty, stinky, hands, tired, all of the things, right? And he's like, I'm going to come home, and I'm just going to put my feet up and chill out. And I'm going to take advantage of the house that I have, have the privilege of living in. And then all of a sudden, he hears merrymaking, making. What in the world is going on? Verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Basically, the servant is thinking to the older brother, I've got some really good news for you. There's something amazing, amazing. Yesterday, yesterday, somebody uh, walked into my home and said, I want to share something amazing with you. And I'm like, okay. what's about to happen, what's about to happen, no, it's, it's it's incredible, and this person shared how they have decided to follow Jesus, and I was like, this is awesome, this, I mean, that's, listen, and they caught me, I was like, watching a movie, like, just chilling out on TV, and then they walk in, you know, caught me, and like, the house is dirty, and I was like, I don't care, this is amazing, I'll take this news every day, it should be good news, so the servant tells him, listen, your brother that we 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 knew he was messed up. We didn't even know if he was alive. Or, he came home. Well, what does the older brother do? He says, verse twenty eighteen. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. What? What? This doesn't seem right. And friends, here here's I think what we need to ask ourselves this question. Your reaction. To someone receiving grace really shows you your understanding of salvation. How do you feel when somebody gets something they don't deserve that you felt like you deserved? Are you so excited for them? (laughs) Are you like, wow, Jenkins, Johnson? Whoever you are, I'm so glad you got that promotion, and I didn't. I mean, I've been working hard, but I was really hoping that in my hard work, you would get the promotion. Nobody does that. Everybody's like, what the heck? I've been putting in overtime. I've been putting in, like, extra overtime. I've been working late hours. I haven't seen my kids. And then all of a sudden, so-and-so, oh, it's because he's the boss's kid. And see, your reaction towards someone getting grace, towards someone getting something they they don't deserve, it will reveal to you how you understand your salvation. Why? Guess what, guys? Did you know that you did not earn your salvation? Did you know that it was a free gift to you? Did you know that there was nothing that you could do to earn it? Nothing! nothing, zilch, nil, I'll say in Spanish, nada, nothing. Let's keep reading the story. Verses 28 through 30, it says, speaking of the older son, but he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and he entreated with him, but he answered his father. And look at this response, look. Look. Look, these many years I have, what, served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, man, look at the language here, it doesn't even recognize his own brother. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Holy cow! I mean, the fact that the the young, older son here says to his dad, "Look, look, let me just set you straight, Dad. Let me just tell you why you are absolutely wrong." And then he goes through this list of things why he feels like it's he's worthy to feel and to to feel. St- Spat upon and put down and dishonored and et cetera, et cetera. Let me go through this list. And friends, the warning here to us this morning is because we all do it, myself included, is when we think at times we deserve certain things owed to us and we don't get them, that somehow we have any means of being able to earn our favor with God that we think somehow we have fooled ourselves, look, God, how hard I've been working. Look, God, how faithful I've been. I I give regularly and consistently. Then why is my car breaking down? Actually, God, I feel like you owe me something. God, look at. Look at all the time. I mean, Lord, honestly, if you were to add up all the hours that I give freely and I don't ask anyone to compensate me for these things, it would probably be like at least a full-time job. Why are you not blessing my bank account? Why is it really hard right now? I feel like you owe me something. And actually, this person, it feels like I've been actually watching them and they're not doing half as much as what I'm doing, and why in the heck are you blessing them and not me? I deserve that, not this person. You ever feel that way? It's okay, you're in good company. I feel that way. Let's, let's look at some of the truths here, and, and I want us to understand, friends, Both sons are lost. Both sons are lost. Not just the younger son. The older son is just as lost. And I think what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that self-righteousness is just as wicked and sinful as licentious living. We kind of turn a blind eye to those things because after all, we're trying to do good. But the problem is that if you are relying on your own works, then actually you are your own savior. Jesus is not. And that's antithesis to the gospel of Jesus. I want us to look at some of the lostness of the older brother here. Lostness, if that's a word, the lostness of self-righteousness, we see it, it causes anger and bitterness. Here's here's how this works out. If you think you're doing all this good stuff and you deserve it, the moment you don't get what you think is coming to you that you deserve, how do you react? You get angry. And then you get bitter. And then you find, because what you're putting is your hope in your performance. You're putting your hope in your ability to do something. And then when you don't get it, you self-loathe and you throw a pity party And the dad says, come into the party. And you're like, I'm not going in. And all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. The Lostness of self-righteousness causes anger and bitterness. The lostness of self-righteousness causes arrogance. Doesn't it? I mean, the audacity of the son to tell his dad, look. As if I've got it all figured out. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Here's my resume, God. Why are you not understanding this? The lostness of self-righteousness fools you to think you are owed something from God. The the lostness of self-righteousness blinds you to your own sin. Did you notice how good the older brother is at pointing out his younger brother's sin? He's like, well, I mean, it doesn't even say this earlier, but he says, this son of yours squandered your possessions with prostitutes. Dad, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but let me just point it out to you. I'm way better than the my younger brother, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. Last one is, the lostness of self-righteousness considers grace a waste. You know who was like this in the Bible? Remember Judas? Remember Judas? When when Jesus is being worshipped by a woman of ill repute, the Bible says, and she pours out a year's worth wage on the feet of Jesus, and the perfume fills the house it was so potent and everyone would smell it and everyone would know like whoa this is amazing and who was the one who thought with this was wasteful judas judas says well we could have probably sold this and at least given it to the poor trying to sound all spiritual see the lostness of self-righteousness will cause you to look at grace and go What a waste. Why? Because that person doesn't deserve this. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve the blessing of God. After all, look at their life. I deserve it. And then we get tempted somehow to believe that God didn't have to pay a lot for our salvation. Because I really wasn't that bad. I was kind of bad, But about 50% of my heart, actually, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew a lot of Christian things. I've known the church culture. I've done a lot of these good things. I would say if I died and went to heaven on the scale, I would probably, most of my good things would outweigh my bad things. And so therefore, God didn't really have to fully pay the full amount for my salvation. But that guy, that's a waste. I want to ask you guys a question. If you have your Bibles or your apps, I'm just going to give you a moment to turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and physically look at it for a second. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, what does your title say above that verse? The prodigal son. And while... Yeah. Let me just explain something to you, those of you who might be newer to scripture. That title was not something Jesus said. When he would speak, he wouldn't stop and go, let me give you a title here, the prodigal son, right? And then step into his story. It's actually, it's just recorded Jesus is talking, but what publishers have done is they've gone into the Bible and It wasn't written with chapters and verses either. People who are smarter than me and you have gone through there and broken these things up, and sometimes they've added titles over Scripture. And I would say, friends, this is one of those moments where the title is actually not that helpful because, yes, this parable is meant to teach us about prodigal living, but what I want us to understand this morning, well, first of all, let's just even uh, uh, clarify what does the word prodigal mean? Okay, here's what prodigal actually means. It means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. All right, was the younger son prodigal in his sin? Absolutely. But here's where I think we need to put the emphasis this morning, is that God is prodigal. God is prodigal. See, if we don't understand the gospel, when I say God is prodigal, some of us are going, does not compute. That feels error, error, error. Warning signs are going off in our hearts. But here's the reality of the grace that you and you and you and me all received. It was prodigal grace. It was extravagant grace. It would almost seem wasteful. After all, who would pay so much for something that is worth so little? Sinful, arrogant, full of malice, wrong thinking, bent on getting your own way, And wanting your life to benefit you. And then God in His grace steps into your life and pours out His prodigal nature upon you. And rescues you from your sin. No matter how good of life you may have led in the beginning. No matter how perfect your home, your Christianity culture was, no matter how many times you went to church, no matter how many times you listened to sermons, no matter how many times you read the Bible, no matter how many times you've given money to charities, no matter how many times you have done all the good things, God's grace on you for your salvation is prodigal. See, we get grace and mercy mixed up sometimes. It's easy to accept the mercy of God. Like, let let me explain to you what the difference is. Mercy is getting something you don't don't deserve. So the son, the younger son here, he doesn't just receive mercy in the sense that the dad doesn't just punish him and say, okay, I'm going to make you pay for it and I'll let you live back in the house. Mercy would have been the dad not killing his son, so to speak, Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is getting something you don't deserve. You, you do, okay, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the thing, the thing, the thing with the thing. But grace is getting, so let's take an example. My son just got, I mean, buddy, I'm gonna pick on you for a second, all right? He's, he got in a car accident. His car's total, right? Everything within me at the moment wants to be like, Flip flower I want to say all the things, right? But grace to my boy is to take him and f- help him find another car, set up the payment for him, be able to say, okay, buddy, there are some things you're going to need to learn in this, but okay, we're going to make this, I'll go to the bank, I'll secure the loan, we'll do this whole thing, And I'm just going to, boom. And all I'm asking, just be faithful to the payments. But instead of, well, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm just, I'm not going to kill you. So you're welcome. (laughs) Which I feel like sometimes he deserves. I said feel, feel, feel. and we get, somehow we go, okay, it's all right for God to have mercy. That's okay. It's okay for God to have mercy. Of course, he's God. Be merciful, God. Yes. Okay, please don't smite me. Okay, thank you. But in order for God to go just beyond not killing us, and then blessing us, and something we don't deserve is prodigal. See that, the whole point of this story, friends, is for us to understand the nature of who God is. And we go through our whole lives, Christian lives, hearing messages about the Bible all the time, with somehow we can't get this wrong thinking out of our brain that we have to earn our salvation. It doesn't work that way. You cannot, it's impossible. You could do all, all of the things. And unless God pours out His grace on you, you will not be saved. It is only the prodigal grace of God that we find ourselves in right standing with God. It is only... The fact that God initiated salvation and He came to you first. He says, I choose you in spite of you. And I'm not just going to have mercy. I'm not just going to not let you burn. I'm going to like bring you now into a family. I'm going to like, you're, once you were in darkness, the Bible says, now you're in light. Once you were this way, once you were an enemy of God, now you're a friend of God. Once you were a a child of disobedience, now you are a child of God, and I'm going to put you into this family, and as your dad, I'm going to give you all the rights that come with this family name. Everything. Go into the fridge. Get whatever you want. That gallon of milk, drink it. We have a gas card. Use it. But dad, but dad, I I messed up. I know, but you're still my son. You're my daughter. I've given you grace. You didn't deserve it. Take it. You can't earn it. God's prodigal. Oh, man. Okay. I want us to see this last thing here, friends, is the most prodigal that we will ever see of God is his prodigal nature in Jesus. It's in Christ. Jesus, I mean, here, the reality is that Jesus really is the better older brother in this story. Let's just rewind back here a second and go, okay, older brother, if you could see the movie, and we're gonna redo it now, okay? Older brother's working out in the field And the story we know is that the older brother hears about his younger brother who doesn't deserve anything from his dad. And he gets angry and he's bitter and he tells his dad what's up, and I've done all these things, I've earned it, blah, 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 blah. The reverse now. Insert Jesus, the better older brother. Remember here, guys, Jesus is talking about lostness. He starts off with the lost sheep, and he talks about a lost coin. And he's talking about lost sons. And he's telling this to Pharisee hearts. And he's saying, listen, actually, I'm the better older brother. I'm the truer older brother. I don't know if you realized why this older brother actually got pretty upset. It's not only does he feel like he earned his dad's good graces, but the fact that his younger brother is returning now do you know that some of his inheritance is now getting used up? Wait a minute. The best robe. I had my eye on that robe. That ring, the family ring. That was going to be my fa- my ring. I was going to give that to my kids. And the fat and calf. That's old Bessie. We've been holding off on that one. There's going to like we're going to age that steak. She was grass-fed. It was going to be awesome. And he comes back. That was, that was actually my stuff. Seared. A little rosemary and butter and garlic. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, Anthony. That's right. All right, my wife's telling me, move on. It actually did cost the older brother a lot. Now his younger brother is dipping into what he's already squandered. Now he's dipping into his inheritance. And lest we forget, friends, that somehow grace is cheap and just like, eh, it doesn't matter. I want us to know that the cost that was paid for you and me for our salvation costs a lot. You know how much it cost? It costs the life of Jesus. Because in this moment, not only did it just the physical life of Jesus, but it cost in the sense of a separation from the Son to the Father in Jesus, and it cost that the wrath of God against sin, the, the judgment of a holy God against sin that must be paid, was all 100% of your sin and my sin, the wick, like the vile, poison Nastiness, the sourness of that sin was diverted from, from us and it was placed upon Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come at this moment and go, "What the heck? I was perfect. I never sinned once. I did everything you asked of me. Why are you asking me to go to the cross and die for these guys?" Jesus willingly says, Oh, oh, I'll take the cost. I'll take the penalty so that you can put a robe on Kelly, so that you can put the family ring on Anthony, so that you can kill the fatted calf for Terry, so that you can welcome Dennis back in to this family, so that Ken can say that this is my brother, this is my sister, so that Mary Ann can enjoy all the benefits of this household, I will do that, and I will do it willingly. Look how beautiful the prodigal nature of the grace of God is. This costs the Father everything for you and me. This cost the son everything for you and me. And while, yes, the younger son wasted his life and we could say, oh, he's prodigal, he's prodigal in the sense of a negative nature. Friends, the gospel tells us the grace of God towards you and me is prodigal because we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It was almost wasteful for our expense. But thank God, there amen will you stand with me